Welcome to the Daily Thunder podcast. I am Cray Allred, your substitute host. I'm going to do my best subbing in for Ryan Woods, who's taken the evening off. Uh, I am joined today for the recap episode by J.D. Taylor of Welcome to Loud City, who also has a byline with Daily Thunder and has written some good stuff for us. Uh, welcome, J.D. Thank you. It's nice to be on here. Thank you, Cray. Absolutely. Uh, good evening, I think. Uh, it'll be for Thunder fans. It'll hopefully be a better evening than it was an afternoon. Uh, with maybe some more exciting football than there was basketball. Oh, of course, it's afternoon for you. It's evening, well, 12-ish for me, 12, 30-ish. Yeah, well, maybe sweeter dreams. <laughs> for, so, so this is like a per- – but an afternoon game, that's rare for you guys where you can actually watch it live at a decent hour. I mean, yeah, I mean – the game was on at a reasonable time today. I mean, the Clippers game on Friday night, it started around 3 in the morning, finished about 5.30. I mean, this is a lot better. A lot okay. better. Thunder fans, Thunder media, we've been griping for the last 48 hours of, oh, it's West Coast time. The game didn't start till 8 o'clock or 9 o'clock sometimes, and we've got to wait, and we might not be done till one in the morning. The game hasn't even started <laughs> for poor JD if he wants to watch it live. So uh, we'll, we'll keep that perspective that we, we have it uh, better than our international, many of our international fans, of which there are a lot. So, uh, so well, I'm sorry the game was not more exciting other than uh, a little bit of uh, interest in the, the closing minutes there, closing seconds, really. <laughs> um, so, J.D., I, I already uh, published our quick recap on the site. I pretty much summed it up as kind of a boring sequel to the game a couple days ago. Uh, I said the, the summary is basically that the Clippers are good and the Thunder are scrappy. Uh, that is an oversimplification. Uh, so why don't you tell me anything you think I might be glossing over that we, you know, a Thunder fan could have learned by watching this game, maybe who didn't watch it very closely. I think that your general point is is about right. I think that, yeah, the Thunder are a very scrappy team, but I think that at times you see a lot of grit from the Thunder. You see a lot of the fight within them. They'll go down by 18, 19 points, but you never get the sense that they're giving up on the game. You see other teams, they do that. You see in the body language, you see a head drop, and they're not interested in playing the game. With Thunder, it's the different stories that they always seem to keep on wanting to fight. I think... Shay Georges Alexander was probably the best example of that tonight. Is that he had a rough first half, I thought, didn't play all that well, but he kept on getting himself to the free throw line, kept on making the right plays, and he eventually ended with a pretty good night. He had 23 points, uh, seven assists, and six rebounds, which is a really good night for him. And he just played well, I thought. And same thing with Isaiah Roby. Uh, I was always a bit worried with Roby when the Thunder got him because I didn't really know what to expect, but he's really emerged as like a good player over the last five games or so. He had, you know, a double-double tonight, and his three assists were pretty good, I thought. Yeah, he's – so I – my preseason prediction when we do our wild and crazy, we call them extreme confidence predictions for the season. I had said that uh, Aroby would end up being the sixth man for the Thunder. Uh, and I'm feeling pretty good about that. Um, That's a good prediction. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
if you'll couch it with all the other outlandish uh, predictions, you'll see that I wasn't basing it off of like sound logic or anything, <laughs> but I just, you know, one of those gut feel things where a lot of people didn't expect to make the team, obviously uh, when the summer roster was so crowded. Um, but I, I did think that he had, you know, kind of a, a funky stretch, big can play make enough uh, has uh, undersized, but has enough side that I thought, you know, I, I wasn't sure why, other people weren't giving him uh, attention as a worthwhile project like they might be for someone like a Frank Jackson or others that the fan base seemed to have rallied hard behind. So uh, I, I'm honestly shocked at how well he's played. <laughs> uh, and especially without Al Horford having been traded yet for him to get this much playing time. Um, but, uh, you know, the good, good friend uh, rest and uh, happy personal reasons have been uh, good for Roby's fate this season and the Thunder's development. So, yeah, uh, he was impressive. Uh, side, I mean, Shea is just Shea's just Shea at this point, right? He's uh, averaging. Uh, this is basically an average game for him, right? Uh, low to mid twenties scoring, uh, racking up points and rebounds, um, uh, being the clear leader on the floor, setting the tone, controlling the pace of the game for the Thunder. Uh, it's nice that we just know what he is. Uh, and not that he can't grow and expand on that, but there's a lot less mystery on him as like a, a, a lead playmaker for the team. I'd also throw Hamadou Diallo out there uh, having, uh, you know, he's not been living up to that super hot start that he had, uh, but a decent game off the bench. Uh, everyone does this. They complain about using plus minus as in an individual game and then go ahead and do it, which I'm going to do with him. But uh, as an aberration, I think it's, uh, funny that he was uh, a minus two for the game and missed five out of his seven free throws. So like he, he single-handedly probably could have put himself from a minus to a plus just by making a couple uh, of free throws, which is usually not the case with players a little more complicated than that. But uh, yeah. Did you think Diallo looked uh, good, pretty typical uh, effort and kind of workmanlike contributions from him? I think Diallo is the one who's really surprised me this season, I have to say, because in the first two years in the league, he's not really looked like, he's looked like quite a rash player. He makes bad decisions quite a lot. He seems to have settled down quite a lot and he's calmed down and he's making better decisions now. I think he had a really good night tonight. I think he had 14 points, but he's not settling really for those threes or early shot clock shots that he used to take where he was contested quite heavily. And I think that he can really grow grow this aspect of his game. I think that this might seem like a stretch to say, but his athleticism in a weird way reminds me of what Westbrook did in terms of just using his pace to get to the rim all the time. And I'd like to see Harmi probably try to develop a little bit of a post game down low because if he can get a couple of post games and get a couple of up and unders and create out of there and start finding shooters, I think that's something that you can really build upon. And I said this, uh, I think, previously, that if you can get him working as a role man and as passer out in the short role, I think that only increases his opportunities on the Thunder. Yeah, so I was actually just about to ask you about the Westbrook comparison, which I saw a long time ago, and I thought I laughed out loud when I saw it because I thought, okay, Thunder fans. (laughs) (laughs) Just because there was one Westbrook doesn't mean there would be a second. But uh, the more, has, you know... Honestly, I, I think both of us say, you know, he does not have a West, Russell Westbrook ceiling, right? Uh, no. and, or, or even a role. 
uh, I wouldn't think that he's going to have a comparable role uh, to Russell Westbrook. Uh, but uh, that similar type of uh, explosiveness, determination, being able to maybe make up for a lack of shooting and finesse with power, right? Uh, and, and being able to not just um, not just operate at a faster speed, but understanding the way your speed and force on the game give you advantages over the defense, right? Because, I mean, Russell Westbrook turned himself into a, a double-digit assist man uh, for, you know, this last arc of his career, which no one would have seen coming early on, right? Uh, so I think the kind of – that's kind of the – maybe the Scott Brooks in us being able to – well, not me, but in the Thunder fan base, maybe able to squint and see, you know, a real raw Thunder player, even though we've been burned by so many, <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, projects, but being able to squint and see, you know, it worked out with Russ, you let them play, you see where the athleticism takes them. Maybe you can believe, and I will say that I'm someone that absolutely did not think that was apt for, for the Diallo experiment, but uh, I've been proven at least – through this part in the season, somewhat wrong. I think if people believe that, they should be doing the lottery. Because I mean, <laughs> I don't, I think looking at Harmy coming into the season, I would have never seen this. I kind of thought that his decision making and his inability to shoot did kind of top him out at a certain level. Say he was an eighth, ninth man off the bench at bet. But he seems to, I don't want to say it's stubbornness, but he seems to have just got this simplified his game to the point where. His focus is just getting to the rim and finishing around there. And if he misses, he'll get his offensive rebound and use his energy. And I think that's such a big innovation for him because he's no longer doing stupid stuff. <laughs> he's doing the simple things. And that's what I'd like to see personally out of him. I never would have expected it. Never. I wouldn't say about you. I looked at Harmony and I didn't understand. I didn't understand him. I thought he's really athletic, but he doesn't seem to have the technical understanding or the knowledge or feel for the game to really make an impact. And he seems to be growing that aspect of his game. And that's the thing. Most players with that next level athleticism without the feel for the game, it doesn't go anywhere, right? Just because you can jump higher or run faster than someone doesn't make you an NBA player. Um, so there's got to be that understanding that he seems to be leaning into of, you know, where to input his athleticism and his specific skill set into an NBA offense, into the flow of the game uh, without doing the more unfortunate shenanigans. And I, I would also say, you know, Thunder fans uh, probably maybe have more uh, trust. Not that I don't have trust in the Thunder's front office and development and scouting and coaching teams, but uh, I mean, the team picked up his player option for next season when they didn't have to, uh, when, you know, this could have been much more of a, a trial year for him and they believed him enough to pick up that option when they did have that glut of, uh, you know, flyers on the, the summer roster. So uh, there, there are bigger fans in Hami world than, than you and I, uh, JD, but uh, so far they've been, they've been proven right. Uh, I, I still will not be shocked if he reverts somewhat, <laughs> but, but it's good sign so far. No, I, I expect some regression of some sort because I think that he's performing at such... He's gone... His jump is too big at this point in time. It's kind of an unsustainable jump. Same with Dort and his shooting. Mm -hmm. Dort is currently above 40%. There's no way he's going to finish the season above 40%. He shot 29% last year from three. There's going to be some sort of regression. But if Harmi can sort of average out as, say, you know, eight, nine points off the bench on relatively decent shooting 
and he's just a microwave scorer who comes in and does stuff relatively efficiently, I'd be pretty happy with that. Yeah, so that's a good transition to Dort, who I have next up on the list. This game could potentially be a harbinger for uh, uh, maybe not struggles, but maybe, you know, not cloud nine Dort offense for the rest of the season. Uh, I think it's probably fair to say that uh, most teams, uh, as far as opponents scouting and strategizing his Thunder, probably to this point in the Thunder, have not been tr- taking him seriously as a scoring threat. Uh, as a true number two option, it looks like more and more he's going to be given those opportunities, right? And he's done well with them. Uh, but uh, similarly to the, you know, the game seven in Houston uh, and that whole series is like, yes, he dropped 30 in a game seven and made a bunch of threes, but no, they were not contested. <laughs> and uh, and no, Houston was not upset that he was taking those shots, right? So uh, there's there's going to be, you know, uh, I, the sh- I mean, Shooting's real, right? If you can shoot, you can shoot. Uh, it's not necessarily, you know, there are plenty of NBA players that can't knock down open shots, that can't knock down wide open shots. So I'm not saying it's a mirage by any stretch. But uh, I do wonder if, especially if something like a George Hill trade happens, right, or an Al Horford trade or a major injury, you know, God forbid to Shea or someone important, right, like if the attention to the defense makes things life a little bit harder for, for Lou Dort. So this was his – Definitely his worst offensive game of the season. He took 10 shots, made two. First game without a made three of the season. He missed all six of his attempts. Um, so so where do you put him at? Closer to the, you know, uh, sniper making three, making half of his shots a game or more of the, you know, round one, nobody guard him and he might get lucky sometimes and knock him in. Where do you, where do you think he lands moving forward? I think he's probably somewhere in the middle. I think that, personally, I think if you can get to, say, 36 37%, maybe in, like, say, 38 that's really good for him. I don't see him as being this elite shooter, because if you look at elite shooters like, you know, like a, a Redick, if you look at their form and how consistent and how repeatable it is time and time and again, it's the same form. Whereas Dort, there's still a few little inconsistencies here and there. I think he'll eventually get them worked out, but I can't see him being that sort of shooter. Then, on the other hand, I don't see him just being a guy who sits in the corner, just jacks up shots, but he's just missing them left, right, and center. I think he's made enough improvements on that front to actually be a half-decent shooter, I would say. Say 36, 37%, I think he can do. Yeah, and that's, I mean, for someone with his skill set on defense, that's 3 and D premium talent, right? Uh, you don't have to be, you know, if J.J. Redick could defend like Lou Dort, he'd be, you know, top 10 player. <laughs> so. oh, no, I did an article the other day and I said Lou Dort is one of the premium 3 and D wings in the league. And to be honest, I completely stand by that because if you look at what he's doing, he's taking five attempts from three a game. At this point, he's knocking down 40%, say it averages out around 37%. But he's an elite defender. He's all NBA, sorry, he's all defense first team, I would say, if he continues on like this. And you need those kind of players to win a championship. Every great team in the last 10 years has had an elite 3 and D player. You need one of them. Yeah. So the obvious comp comes to mind is like a Danny Green, right? Uh, although Dort's already got more skill as a, a ball handler playmaker. A little more of a loose cannon as well, though. Uh, but uh, So he's got some growing pains that he's gone through and is still growing through as uh, more of a creator and, and ball mover. But... Uh, yeah, I mean, players like that have a role. 
Um, that's that's one of my other uh, outlandish predictions with Lou Dort would be traded be, by virtue of being so valuable to real contenders, you know, of which the Thunder might not be for several years. So they might maximize his value way earlier than you might imagine. But uh, I think the Thunder mob might come out to me if I uh, if I campaign for that. So I'm not campaigning for that. <laughs> but uh, uh, I think I see the benefit in keep because his contract is so cheap. Yeah, there's no. I kind of his contract is so cheap, and we saw in the last in the last few games he seems to be developing a bit of a floater. His handle looks a bit tighter. If he can become so, you know, a, a three and D guy, but he has a little bit of ball handling, a bit like a Marcus Smart in a sense, then that is so valuable to a team. And I don't see the point in trading him when he's on such a cheap contract now. And even if he gets his next contract in three, four years' time, and that's worth fifteen, sixteen million dollars, if he progresses at the rate he is, that's a very good contract. He's totally worth it. Yeah, and he's shaping up to be that kind of value that. I definitely think there'd be diminishing returns on trading him where now you look at him as, uh, you know, even if he is not going to be a long, long-term piece, you see him more as, you know, part of a package for like a superstar or a real, you know, a Cade trade or something like, you know, he, he's one of the, you know, these kind of little mini grouplings of players pop up on different teams where, you know, it's like the Siakam role, right? Where it's like the Siakam, you know, going to be one a superstar, or are we going to be talking about trading him for Bradley Beal for the next? <laughs> like, I wonder if he kind of makes it into that that echelon. But we've wasted enough time. I've wasted enough of your time talking about Dort as a trade ship and angering enough fans. So we'll we'll move on. Uh, the only other thing uh, I was going to mention is, um, I think you mentioned the the spiritedness of the Thunder and their grit, right? and how they uh, make a game out of games that really don't have any business being competitive as long as they are. I think a lot of that goes back to last season, right? Under the tutelage of Chris Paul and uh, just how uh, you might've been the one that called it the Chris Paul Academy, even on this, this podcast, but there's a, there's a fight in the team, uh, but it's a fight to get it within a few points, maybe not a fight that on the others that, Chris Paul can deliver a win for you, right? Against a, a much better team. So, and I, I think all, all people would agree that the Clippers don't necessarily have that, you know, chemistry, charisma, the it factor, right? They haven't shown themselves to have much of that. So in some ways this testament is a, or this game is a testament to talent wins over things we like about teams, <laughs> right? Uh, so, uh, you know, not to make every podcast and every article about team tank or team not tank, but uh, ultimately the Clippers, you know, completely dumped all of their little scrappy, you know, compete in the playoffs, but maybe don't really have a chance of the title. They happily cashed all those ins for players like Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. Uh, and I do think that a roster like the Clippers, hopefully a more likable one, maybe one with more spirit, right. With maybe a guy like Shea Gilders Alexander, that is leading that. Uh, but, you know, the goal is ultimately not to be a scrappy first round team. It, it's to have like real superstar powerhouse talents that can squash teams that are like the Thunder <laughs> right now. Does that seem a fair comp? No, that's, I would say that's probably about fair. I think the NBA, if you look, the rosters are so small 
you have, well, 15 players on a roster, you have a regular nine, 10 man rotation. If you have three or four like, truly great players, that can swing a lot of wins in a playoff scenario because you've just got that level of top end talent that most teams can't tap into because it's a scarce resource. I think that the Thunder have to try to work out how to pursue that because the Clippers were able to get Kawhi to come home because they were able to promise that you'd be able to live in LA and be near your house, be near your home. And same with Paul George and other players as well. I think that so if you said to Marcus Morris, okay, you've got a championship winning team in Oklahoma City, would you come? And I don't think he would because there's certain lifestyle factors there. I think that the way that the Thunder have to work it is that you have to try to get young guys in who are under team control and then you make a big trade. I mean, then you make a trade for a star. Say you go out and get Carl Anthony Towns or somebody like that and you give up the you know, you give up the mother load to get him. But then you have that window of say four or five years, of not even four or five years, say three, two, three years to try and win a title. I think the big thing is that once they hit unrestricted once they hit unrestricted free agency then that's the big thing for the Thunder because that can kill the team within one um, one stroke of a pen. You have to win before they get to their prime. You have to win when from ages of 21 to 27. Yeah, and I think so. It's unambiguous what the Thunder are doing. They are rebuilding, right? In the words of the GM, uh, they've been on the path to a rebuild or a replenishment or a repositioning a uh, reward <laughs> yeah they're re they're reing uh they're re-thundering uh but you know there's no ambiguity about their what their plans are but there's plenty of dynamics in how you do a proper rebuild the specific context of oklahoma city uh the history of the team the assets they currently have like so i don't think there's anything necessarily predictable about what ultimate moves there they will take um, other than it needs to be, like I said, powerhouse, blue chip talent at the end of the major moves that they do kind of cash in whatever chips they have uh, or else they probably will not think it's worth doing that. Um, so have fun, Clippers. Enjoy the regular season, Paul. Or, or what do we call them? Uh, yeah, regular season. Pandemic P, playoff P, <laughs> yeah. uh, way off P. There's many different <laughs> Uh, we'll see. Uh, to be fair to playoff P, he has had some absolute monster moments in the playoffs before he was with the Oklahoma City Thunder, uh, as well as other uh, gaffes and embarrassments. But, you know, he's gone toe-to-toe with LeBron at LeBron's peak before. So, uh, I mean, yeah. But uh, it's just that seven, six, seven years is a long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. People are short-termists. They're short-termists. It's a case of what have you done for me lately? And his performance last year just means he's the butt of all the jokes. Hopefully it motivates him to do better because I do genuinely think I do like watching Paul George play. I don't want to see him just keep on struggling. So hopefully it motivates him and he can actually start putting in performances that we know he's capable of. Yeah. We'll see. Thunder fans won't be rooting particularly hard for it, but <laughs> for him. Uh, but we'll, we'll uh, be grinning about the assets he fetched us on his way out. Regardless, I think while well, he was uh, definitely earned the playoff TP designation in uh, the the joking one while he was in Oklahoma City, at least. So, uh, all right, JD, thank you so much for coming on. 
Uh, thanks for help breaking down the game with us and uh, everything you do for the site. And again, encourage our listeners to check out Welcome to Loud City. A lot of JD's works there uh, pretty much every week, right? Yeah, every couple of days, I think, is usually yeah. is about my hit rate. So uh, he does good stuff. We like having him on. And uh, we'll, uh, Ryan should be back uh, the next go around, hopefully with a, a happier postgame podcast to do. So take care. I'll be Portland. We'll definitely be happier. We'll win that one, I think. And and uh, yeah, I'll let I'll let him break down the whole shoe, the whole uh, Damian Lillard sneakers scandal and controversy and everything that people are mad about now. That can, that can be saved for that game. All right, you take care, JD. Take care. Thank you.